Hello, I'm Tracy Otsuka, the host of ADHD for Smartass Women. If you're a regular listener, you likely have heard about my signature program, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. You can find out more about it at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash A-OK. This is the six-week program that I built off of my patented cortography system to help ADHD women specifically figure out what they should do with their life. We call it AOK for short, and it includes live office hours, a community, the AOK system, worksheets. We create our own AOK intelligence report. You know that ADHD is completely misnamed, right? We don't have a deficit of attention. We have a surplus of attention. We're interested in so much, which often means that we struggle with trying to figure out which of the many interests that we do have is actually the one that we should pursue. What AOK does is work from the inside out. Look, most systems, most coaching programs, personality tests, think of the Meyer Briggs, Sally Hogshead's Fascinate test, the Enneagram. You have a list of categories or types, and then you figure out which one you fit best into. With AOK, we work from the inside out. Look, there's no place to fit in because I believe you were meant to stand out. And this is the problem us ADHD women experience. We've lived our entire life always trying to fit into systems, structures, roles, careers that, frankly, they just don't work for us. With AOK, we're going to figure out who you are, what's important to you, what you value, and what your strengths, passions, superpowers, and purpose are. And then, you're going to be able to build your life around that. We just opened up Your ADHD Brain is A-OK this week, and you'll have until this Monday, September 19th, to sign up, and then we'll be starting next week on Tuesday, September 20th. If you're interested, pop on over to tracyoutsuka.com forward slash A-OK. Of course, I'd love to have you join us. So now, let's get on to our regular programming. I've got money now, but I just want people to hear that having money doesn't change the behavior. Sometimes it increases it. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast. ADHD for smart-ass women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. 
Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode 193 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. You know my purpose. It's always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. So for all of these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Denise Duffield-Thomas. Denise is the money mentor for the new wave of online entrepreneurs who want to make money and change the world. She helps entrepreneurs charge premium prices, release the fear of money, and create first-class lives. With her Money Bootcamp, she has helped over 8,500 students from all around the world. Her books, Lucky Bitch, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, and her newest, Chill and Prosper, give a fresh and funny roadmap to living a life of abundance without burnout. Denise proudly dubs herself a lazy introvert, a Hay House author, and an unbusy mother of three. She owns a rose farm and lives by the beach in sunny Australia. And most importantly, she was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 42, and it's been a life-changing journey. Denise, welcome to our very exclusive Smartass Club. Did I get all of that right? Oh my gosh, you did such a great job. And I've been looking forward to this interview for so long. I'm thrilled for us to talk. Me too. So Denise... We always talk about ADHD first here. So would you mind telling us about the circumstances that led to your diagnoses at 42? Well, um, through my son, which I'm sure you've heard a million times. My son, George, who's now six, at around four and a half, his daycare teacher started to just tell us he needed a bit more support. So we went to occupational therapy. We went to dietitians, and he was actually doing well at daycare, but daycare is so unstructured that we're a bit concerned about him going to school. And we did a year of this. And then I remember it was just before Christmas and we were having a um, phone call. My husband and I we were in the car park having this last minute phone call. And the lady said, oh, there was just one thing I wanted to say. And I was just like, just say it. And she went, I think, oh, maybe, I think he might have ADHD. And it was like the clouds parted. And it was just like, and I went, oh, my God, he totally does. And then it was kind of like, maybe I do as well. And I don't, actually, I do know why it didn't occur to me. All of my cousins, my brother, my mom, all of them were like that. And so I did have two cousins who were kind of diagnosed, but in the eighties and nineties, when it was like, you had to be so extreme and like a bad, you know, really naughty kind of disruptive kid. And I was like, but I'm not naughty and disruptive. I just want to read my book 20 hours a day. And yeah, I lost my keys and yeah, I never knew where I was going to be. But I thought that was because I grew up with this kind of chaotic mother And that's why. And so I thought I was the normal one. And I don't know if you've ever watched that British show, Absolutely Fabulous. Oh, my God. I love that show. Patsy. Yeah, okay. So I was the daughter. I was the Safi. And my mom, you know, was the Adina. And 
it never occurred to me. So that was the moment. And then I joined your group just to lurk, you know, just to lurk and see, I can't have it. I'm, I don't know. I just, I had all that stigma, you know, I was like, but I'm, I'm successful and I'm, it's my, uh, my family who are the, you know. I make a lot of money. How could I have ADHD? (laughs) Exactly. And then it was just such a beautiful I mean, even it took me a while to even go and get the diagnosis. And finally, I just, I woke up one day, got a telehealth appointment with my doctor so I could do it straight away. And she went, okay, we'll go get a blood test and we'll come back in two weeks. And then two weeks later, I looked at my calendar and I said, oh, I'm speaking to my doctor today. I wonder what that's about. Oh, crap. I forgot to get the blood test. So I had to go and find the paperwork. It was covered in coffee, screwed up at the bottom of my car, did the paperwork, forgot to you know, do the follow-up, all of the things were just so hilarious. And then I, I, I actually did prepare for the meeting with my doctor. I, I created this massive, big four pieces of paper taped together of a timeline of my life. And I just, every time I thought of something, I would put it in. And, and then I got there and he said, why do you think you have ADHD? And then he just let me talk for 50 minutes. And at the end he went, okay, let's do a trial. <laughs> he didn't say a single word. He just went, okay. And then since then, I'm in the process of getting my siblings diagnosed. And that's been the same thing of like, okay, let's get that first appointment done. Uh, it's taken a while. So when your son was diagnosed, you didn't have any of this, oh my gosh, no, he doesn't have ADHD. Like there was no grief around it. It was just like, yeah, that makes sense. How did you know what ADHD looked like that you weren't scared of it? Um... I really think it is different for our generation if you are on social media because the work that people have done, like yourself, it's it really has helped to destigmatize a lot of that. But I think we're honestly, I think we're a bit desperate for a solution. George is such a wonderful kid, but you know, we were doing couples counseling to deal with some of the stresses that he was bringing into our life. And it was really upsetting to think, you know, how is this kid going to be at school? And and even in getting him diagnosed, as you know, it's such a long process. It still took a year because waiting lists are really long at the moment. But even in that first appointment, she said, look, he's not even at school yet. There's nothing I can really do. And so she wanted him to be at least one term at school. And that first term was worse than we could have possibly even imagined. Because at daycare again like he had a teacher who really loved him so there would be four or five daycare teachers there and this one teacher would say George come on my lap while you know that other teacher's reading the story and she just nurtured him so well but in a classroom of 25 kids we you know he was in trouble every day he wasn't following the rules he was really disruptive and he's he's a lovely kid but you just you can't do that and so that school teacher, she was really honest with us, you know, and she was just like, it's really painful, guys. And we knew her. She had taught one of our other kids. And I was, in a way, that follow-up appointment, you know, to see if he could get medicated. In my mind, I was thinking, I'm going to have to, like, really put this on and, you know, and just say to her, it's really, really painful. And and I'm not a crier. And I got into that appointment and I just said, I am so worried for his future. Because by that time I'd read that 
you know, life expectancies lower and impulsive behavior that can lead to car accidents and drug taking and things like that. Like I literally just burnt prison. Exactly. And, and my, some of my cousins, you know, one of my cousins trigger warning, you know, committed suicide because he just could not cope with that life after a, you know, decades of getting into trouble. And, and I literally just got into that appointment and just burst into tears. And she just wrote me out a prescription for him. Let's give it a try. And, you know, that second term, he got an award the first week. He was able to go to soccer. We'd been trying to put him into soccer for years. And it hasn't been perfect. You know, he's he's lost weight. He's, you know, we're still kind of trying to adjust and see, you know, there's a little bit of aggression and things like that. But it has been life-changing. And for the first time I went, oh, my God, this kid, he really is smart and he can he can do something. He sat down and learned chess. <laughs> okay. He's really smart. How old is he? Six? Six. You know, he just, <laughs> and I can see him just going really blossoming and, and those behaviors that were just so distracting for him. I just, it just gave me so much hope seeing that. And that's all we need, right? I mean, especially when it comes to our children, I had a very similar experience to you where but our we were it was later, like starting at nine, where we just went from one place to the other. We'll try this, we'll try that. And my son was not disruptive. I can't imagine if he was, how much more painful that would have been. You know, that he had I don't know, did he have problems with other kids? A little bit. Um, he could get a bit um oh, I don't know, just like you know, this this is the way we should do it. or And there was some social skill stuff too. He could just sometimes be a little bit inappropriate. But actually at school, it was just just not following the rules. You know, the first rule of kindergarten is um, we don't share food, we don't share money. And so he was just like, but I want to go to the canteen and my parents haven't given me money, so I'm just going to ask someone else for it. And the teachers were like, oh, you stole that girl's money. And he was like, but I didn't, oh my I gosh. asked for it. And she gave it to me and they were like, but you can't have money in kindy, but you could see him kind of going, but that's a really dumb rule. I just, I want to go to the canteen. So there were things like that where he wasn't being malicious. He just genuinely was like, that's really dumb. I don't understand. And the thing not make sense. It doesn't make sense. Absolutely. And for me, the, um, what I used to do was just, you know, wanted to read all day. And now I see that that was because everything was very overwhelming and so I was like, I'll, I'll put a book on my lap and read. I'll put a book behind this textbook and read. And sometimes the teachers would let me do it. But if they didn't, I remember kind of closing the book and looking at them going, this is on you. This, this, is, your, this is on you now. And then I would be tap dancing under the table and I would chat to everybody. And I would suddenly be this class clown, you know, that was really disruptive. And so... Yeah, it's fascinating to see how it comes out. And, I mean, as I'm sure you've heard a million times too, everything now I'm looking at it in such a different light, you know, and it's with real compassion and also a bit of sadness too, compassion for my mom that she used to forget to pick me up from dancing, real compassion. And because I blamed so much of that on on her personality but also the fact that we grew up without money 
And now that's not my excuse. There's heaps of times where I go, oh my God, I forgot to pick up the kids. I forgot I had children. And that's, totally. that's got nothing to do with money. So I've, it's, oh, it's such a weird feeling, isn't it? Looking at everything in your life in such a different light. Yeah. Anything else that's changed since you were diagnosed? Um, Are you kinder to yourself? Yes. Or were you yes. always kind to yourself? No, I was so hard on myself for my behavior at school. Um, I never remembered where I was supposed to be. And that was fine at, at primary school when you're in the one classroom, but I would never remember to do my assignments. So I, I had this perception of myself who was someone who did things last minute, that I was lazy. High school and university, it was oh my God, which, which classroom am I supposed to be in? And so I was constantly in this state of stress and overwhelm, forgetting my bus pass every day, feeling like I was always running late. University was so painful for that for me, especially when I went to uni in the late 90s, nothing was online. So I would be on my way to uni going, oh my God, I've got an exam today. And they would physically post the exam room on one building on you know a far side of the campus so I had to rush there go okay where is my exam supposed to be on this massive big you know paper and then think oh it's this exam I don't even have my calculator with me and then oh where's that building again and I was just had that constant adrenaline rush and I failed um econ 101 three times I had to go to summer school for it why do you think that was I was just so disorganized and I think I was really burnt out from high school and I didn't take a break and I didn't go to orientation week because I was working and I had three or four jobs at university all at the same time. And so I was just really in that um, oh, the just horrible adrenaline rush of not knowing where I was supposed to be. And actually, I actually became an incredible pool shark at university because I would sit there in the classroom and just go, I can't take this in. And then I would sort of look at someone and go, do you want to go play pool? I'll pay. And that was my coping mechanism. But you know what? I, I did so well in marketing. In my marketing exams, I would end up with three or four extra booklets. You know how you can add an extra book and you had to tie it on with pencil? Because it would be like put together a marketing plan for this company. And I would put together a marketing plan and then I would write fake emails and memos and I'd design the logo and I would do all this stuff. And so my exam booklet ended up being like five pages because the creativity would just come out. But you can't fake economics. You can't fake accounting if you really didn't study it. And that was the problem. I just didn't do the right degree. I should have just done a straight marketing degree, but I did a e-commerce degree that had statistics and demography and accounting and economics and all of those things. You really just can't fake your way. And did you did you choose those degrees because you thought that they were more legitimate than just a marketing degree? No, I just didn't know. I, I didn't come from a family who went to university and I just thought, I just want to do a business degree. It was just an impulsive kind of decision and I didn't have anyone to help me. And I also didn't know that you could change and I probably should have, you know, but there was no one to kind of nurture me and to say, hey, you know, because you go there and you're one of 500 kids in a in a tutorial, there was no one to sort of go, okay, look, you're doing really badly. So my three-year degree, I ended up being there for 
almost five years. And then I impulsively got a job in London and left. And so I actually just tried to find any university in the UK who would take me and let me finish those credits. And so I ended up with a business degree from some random university in the UK just to tick it off. But even that, I was just thought, and then I went, you know, probably a decade of switching jobs and changing jobs and doing 40 hours worth of work on a Friday afternoon because I'd procrastinated all week at my job. And and so I think I just had this thought of myself of going, I'm I'm brilliant in the moment. I'm brilliant if I pull it all out. But that came at such a high cost to my adrenals. Ultimately, and, yeah. did you think you were smart? I knew I was. But actually, you know what I used to call myself, Tracy, at school? Little Miss Slightly Above Average. Oh, jeez. Because I thought, you know, I came second in my class for, I don't know, English or something like that. And so I always just thought, you know, that feeling of I have so much potential if only I could access it. Yeah. Well, and that I was, mean, I, yeah. That's something a lot of ADHD women can relate to because you're so consistently inconsistent. You never know, well, when is the consistency actually going to show up, right? Yeah. And when we're that young, like you said, I mean, right, you know, we can see our path looking behind us, but we can't see it looking in front of us. So you didn't know that marketing would be your area of genius. You knew that you did really well in it, but I mean, we don't know at that age. No, we we don't. And and also I did have a chaotic, chaotic upbringing that did have its own trauma that was bringing that stuff in. But I'd have these little flashes of moments like um, my marketing professor actually said to me, he, he said, look, I am going to give you a good grade on this, but it is clear you're just bullshitting and like you're just making things up. I, I can tell that you haven't really read the material. And But he kind of goes, you know, I think in like five years time, you're going to be either a millionaire or you're going to be in jail. Oh, my and he kind of said it in with a smile on his face. So I didn't take it that personally. But then I had someone else in one of my um, first kind of corporate careers and he said the same. He kind of said, you know what, I really think that, you know, in five years' time you're going to have this like independent income and I think you're going to be really successful. And I kind of held on to those things as like, wow, someone believes in me. And But I didn't know how to direct any of that. <laughs> especially at work. And I really do mean that I did my work on a Friday afternoon. You know, I'd get in there on Monday and I'd always find a job in a company where I was kind of a lone wolf. Even when I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers, I always had this, you know, job where I, I didn't work with anybody. I could kind of come in and no one knew what I was doing. And so I'd go, I'll start tomorrow. And then I'd be like, it's Tuesday. Tuesday's just a nothing day. There's no point doing any work today. Wednesday's hump day. I'll start tomorrow. Thursday, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll really get stuff done today. And then Friday morning, I'd be like, it's Friday, you know, I'll start after lunch. And then after lunch, I would be, I'd just go, okay, now I have to do everything. And I'd, I'd do from two to five, I'd do all of my work. Oh my word. Yep. And you know what that's like, you know, it's like this collapsing of time and space and you have to just do everything. But I was kind of used to that because I'd always had, you know, at university, not only was I failing statistics and playing pool, I was an Olympic mascot because Australia had the Olympics then. And so from 1998 to 2000, I was an Olympic mascot a couple of times a week promoting well, the Olympic Games. What is that? What is an Olympic mascot? Oh, so you know the Olympics, when we do the Olympics. So Sydney had the 2000 Olympics. 
And I was a children's performer from about 16 onwards doing school holiday shows, working for a company that did Bugs Bunny shows. And I would either be a dancer in those shows or I would, I would be a suit. I would be Elma Fudd or Christmas parades or things like that. And then that company got the contract to, to do the Olympic mascots. So every Olympic has their own mascots. We had four. We had um, Millie the Echidna, who was my character, um, Sid the Platypus, um, Ollie the Kookaburra, and Lizzie the Lizard, who was the Paralympic mascot. And so in the lead up to the games, we performed at, I don't know, there would be a 500 days to go pin or there would be a parade or there would be a show. And so I was performing that all of the time on the weekends and doing things during the, during the week, trying to study, waitressing. And also I took on, and this is so funny, but so ADHD, I was trying to find a job that I could kind of do within all of those other commitments. And so one business, one company that was open 24-7 was a phone sex chat line. <laughs> and you could do as many shifts as you wanted to. They were open 24-7. <laughs> and so I would go and do like a midnight to 6 a.m. shift. I was oh terrible God. at it. Like oh. Just really, just not good. And I could study there as well. So I kind of was able to have this, you know, very uninspiring sexual conversation with someone at trying to study at the same time at oh my you know, midnight God. so I was just used to living at that pace of collapsing lifetimes and times and tasks all in one and I was just my heart rate was always up I always felt sweaty I always felt ill-prepared so I just feel so sorry for myself for those 20s where I was just oh. but I could also see how you could think, well, this is just because I have all these jobs. I'm running around. I'm doing all this stuff. I've got my phone sex chat in the evenings. Like, it would be easy to see that you would think that that is the reason, right? That you feel so discombobulated because that alone would do yeah. it. And I love that word discombobulated. I actually use it a lot because it did feel that way. But I was also used to really kind of faking that. And so most people wouldn't have known. They would have just thought, wow, Denise, you're so calm and <laughs> centered. And it's because it was that show training where it's the show must go on. And I learned that, you know, I started dancing at eight and we would have a lot of competitions. And my dance teacher was amazing and very understanding of my mum turning up late sitting in the car park with me with all the lights off, kind of waiting for my mom. But she, and she was very understanding of me turning up with one tap shoe to the show. And she'd be like, great, put my tap shoes on. Or Denise has forgot her top hat. That's okay. I have a spare one. And that whole feeling of the show must go on. You know, your leotard goes up your bum during the show. You keep going the set falls down, you keep going. And things like that seemed to happen a lot. You know, we'd get somewhere, she'd have us performing every weekend and we'd get somewhere and they'd go, well, the stage isn't ready so you have to tap dance on concrete. Okay, no problem. The music sped up or the music stopped and we had to keep on going. We had to improvise. And I think that early lesson kind of for good and bad taught me that you just present this you know, calm facade and the show must go on no matter what, that I didn't even know that that wasn't a normal way of being. 
how I was being because no one would have noticed. Although I could see that that would serve you well in the kind of business that you were, you know, you ultimately ended up doing online business because things are constantly breaking, things don't work, and you just keep trying new things. You just don't give up. Yeah, it does. But that show must go on mentality sometimes doesn't serve me because I didn't realize you could say no. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes. I didn't realize that you could um, negotiate. Not show up. (laughs) Not show up for the show. For real. And I used to just say yes to everything. And when my book came out, actually the first version of Chill and Prosper, which was called Chillpreneur, someone asked me to come and do like a morning TV show. And I was eight months pregnant. And I sort of went, oh, you know what? I'm a bit tired. And even saying that felt like, oh, what a loser. Just do it. And so I said, you know what? Let's let's book it for, you know, in two months time. When I had an eight-week-old baby, what? And I just thought, I'll just make it happen. And I got to the point where I was just stressing about it every night. Um, and that was George. He didn't sleep from birth. And I had to send an email and just said, look, I can't make it work. And I remember thinking, just say you got into a car accident. Just say you have explosive diarrhea. <laughs> because you can't cancel the show. Like you have to suck it up, put makeup on, you know, we used to say um, TTT to each other, teeth, tits, taps, you know, like smile, push your tits out, tap shoes on, TTT. And that's kind of how I was in work and business. And sometimes I'm still like that. Okay, TTT, you know, I'm, I'm exhausted at the moment because I've been launching a book. I've been creating a new program. I've been filming this week. I've been up till midnight, 2 a.m. And, and I've been doing all these interviews for, for my book. And, you know, I'll be getting up in the morning and I'll look at my roster and just go, oh. And yesterday Mark said, oh, your, your call with Tracy, it's um, audio only. And I went, oh, thank God, because there's times where I have to put on that makeup. Yeah, I when agree. I'm exhausted. Yeah, and, and as I'm putting my makeup on, I'm thinking, T-T-T. You know, it's that, um, <laughs> that meme of like putting on your makeup while you're crying. There's been times where I've just gone, <sighs> and then I'm like, all right, showtime. And that early, you know, those early experiences really helped me, but it really was a revelation just to to say, sometimes you can negotiate and you can cancel the show and no one's going to die. No, and we make it up in our head like it's such a big deal and then you do it and it's like, okay, what? (laughs) Really? Yes. And I love when people cancel on me. They go, you know, I'm sorry that the daycare fell through. I'm like, please, this is so inspiring to me to say, I can't make this work. And we should do that, especially for entrepreneurs. We have to be so kind to each other because I reckon 80% of the entrepreneurs I know have ADHD. I agree. Yeah. We just have to be compassionate to each other because I know that we're, it's struggling for us to be compassionate to ourselves. Absolutely. Okay. So I read your book, Denise, and I didn't expect that I would like it as much as I did. And part of it is I had so many books to read, you know, so they just kind of, you're ticking them off. I thought it was so perfect for the ADHD brain. And I think what I like most is that you come at the reader with the goal of talking about what for most of us is a pretty heavy subject, money, right? 
but you have this way of making it so light, so happy, so simple, so doable. And I always talk about how important positive emotion is to the ADHD brain. And you just get that. And I think because your book made me happy, I could very easily just kind of, you know, just get through it. It was no problem at all. And I'm wondering, was this intentional on your part to just lighten the whole subject up? I didn't read Chillpreneur. I read years ago when I first got into online business, I did read Lucky Bitch, but I I didn't read the first one. So I don't know how it compares. Well, I didn't know I had ADHD when I wrote the first version of, of Chillpreneur, which is hilarious because one of the chapters is called Keyless Life. <laughs> I have that one tabbed. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> I didn't know I had ADHD. And so um, what happened was last year, my um, publisher sent me an email and said, oh, can we have a meeting in two weeks? And I went into full imposter syndrome. I thought, oh my God, they're going to drop me. I'm in trouble. They've been hearing podcast interviews where I talked about I didn't like my cover. I really just went into full panic mode thinking, oh my God. And then after a week of sleepless nights, I sent them a message and said, is there anything I need to do to prepare for this meeting? And they said, oh no, we just want to talk about an updated version of um, Chillpreneur. And I went, oh my God. And so for them, they said, look, you know, you you wrote it pre-pandemic. We would love to be able to acknowledge that there's been something that's changed. And I wanted to, to update things because people would email me and say, well, that's great, but I can't be that easy breezy in my industry. It doesn't work. I'm not allowed to do my business online. I'm not allowed to. My clients would never, you know, let me do that online. And then the pandemic changed things where... So many people had to pivot and change the way they delivered. And so I was thrilled to be able to do an updated version. And and I never had liked the cover of the first one. The other thing too is that Entrepreneur Magazine owns the word entrepreneur and they own everypreneur, you know, thing. And so I couldn't use chillpreneur in any other context except for book. And so for me, I went, oh, this is great. This is an opportunity to change the name, get a better cover add in some case studies. And of course, you're never happy when you put something in. And I was always like, oh, great, I can change that little thing that I didn't like. But the problem was I pretty much rewrote everything and I couldn't stop. And even when I handed in all of the edits, I did it on a Google Doc and I handed it in at like 2 a.m. And I woke up at 6 going, I just want to change that one word. But because I'd handed it in on a Google Doc, I could. I just snuck in. Oh, so wait a minute. You were you're allowed to submit your manuscript on using a Google Doc. It well, didn't it have was to because be Word. It was all of the um, just the edits because I was like insert this bit here and um, all of the case studies and things like that, so they could just go put it in. And yeah, they let me do it on on Google Docs, oh, I'm which was so good. jealous. Oh, fantastic! Right, it was so good, but it allowed me though to sneak in and and change it because it was a live document, which is so funny. Um, so that's why the, that was why we did a new edition. But I also could then acknowledge that I had ADHD in there and make it a little bit more explicit. Um, yeah, but in terms of the lightness, I think that is my personality of I've always been that cheerleader. I grew up watching Oprah, you know, and so I was kind of that person of going, it's okay, you can do it. 
And I think even my first book when it was called Lucky Bitch and then Get Rich Lucky Bitch, some people would go, oh, I hate that word bitch. But then they would listen to me, you know, read it out in the audible and go, oh, it's quite nice. It's not a horrible word. But I actually ended up changing my business was called Lucky Bitch because of that disconnect a little bit. Hmm. So I'm curious, have you read, I know we were talking about trauma and then now we're talking about Oprah, who I'm sure she knows how many people's lives she changed, the world's. Have you read her book with Dr. Bruce Perry, What Happened to You About Trauma? It's on my list. Oh, it, you need to read it. Is it is on my list. There's something there for me. I do have a lot of trauma from from growing up and sometimes it's just mm, not wanting to really go there sometimes so it's been on my list but I actually have met Oprah and so I just want to tell you about that real quick uh-huh. um it's not a difficult a- read though it's not I am oh, good like you in that I don't have the developmental trauma but I am a weenie I cannot take anything that you know, is torture or violence, especially towards children and women. I can't do it. And the stories that they tell, they do it so well that it was, it's one of the, I just can't recommend it highly enough. So it is not, it's not hard in that way. Good to know because I was kind of avoiding it Yeah, a little bit. Well, but, it's um, been sitting for a while here too. So I get that. Yeah. Well, she was coming to Australia and I was, um, on holidays and I saw it on my phone and I went, oh my God. And I had 1% battery and I just went, I have to buy a a ticket for her VIP event. And it was about $2,000. And I just went, oh my God, I've, I've got to do it because she was such an influence on me. And so I was, you know, typing as quickly as I could. What year was this? Superpower. Um, gosh, approximately 2015, 16. Okay, so was, fairly recently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was pregnant with George, so it must have been, yeah, 2000. And he was born in 2016. So, yeah, 2015. And so I went to this event and I bought a special outfit for it. And I was, you know, really pregnant. And she came out. There was about 50 people for it. And she came out just so chill. It was just like, oh, hey, y'all. Like, you know, this is so cool. I'm in Sydney. And I thought, I just had so much pressure to think, oh, my God, I can't talk to her. And Mark was like, take one of your books and give her one of your books. And I went, no, I can't be that tacky. And they actually made a sign something to say, we're not going to give her a gift. We're not going to, you know, harass her. We're going to be chill about it, basically. And then I get there and I see every single person has got a gift for her. They've got their books. They've got this thing. (laughs) And I was sitting there just going, oh, my God, the pressure of this moment. And I thought, I'm. I'm too scared to ask her a question. So she comes out and she goes, oh, I love what you're wearing. Is that a Camilla? And Camilla is this Australian designer who does a very specific, you know, beautiful caftan thing. And I said, oh, yes. I wasn't just going to wear, you know, Target to come and see Oprah. I bought it especially. And she said, oh, she goes, I shop at Target all the time. Target. (laughs) You know, she's like, Target. And I just went, oh, my God. And then she said, why did you come? And I said, well, I've been watching your show since I was a little girl and you have changed everything. And she said, oh, I raised you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she just said it just in that full knowing that she has raised generations of 
um, you know, mostly women, she knows that we are her surrogate daughters. And then she said, "What? It, but what did I teach you? And I said, you taught me to break the cycle. I knew from a young age that I was in a dysfunctional situation because of your show. I knew that my mum was in dysfunctional relationships because of your show. And it made me so determined to break the cycle and do something different. And then she just went, yeah, yeah, great. You And I could just see her going, great, you're one of my, you're one of my girls. I accept that. Just and then that. I, yeah, exactly. I got to have a photo with her and I could see her kind of eyeing my stomach, but I remember hearing her a long time ago saying she would never comment if someone's yeah. pregnant or not because she got it wrong so many times. And I wish I'd said something because, you know, my, my son George was in there and we got a photo and it was just such a highlight. And again, I wanted to fangirl and gush and, and I just couldn't. And I just, I just, you know, hugged her and said, thank you. And and got my photo and I was so excited to get the photo back and what was hilarious about it when it did come back because I was pregnant and the lighting was very strange but all you could see were my nipples <laughs> in this shot and I just had these massive big prego prominent nipples in this shot and I actually had to pay someone to photoshop my nipples out <laughs> so I could share it on social media because that's all you could see but it was such a profound moment for me just to say you know thank you to someone who really had changed my life and um yeah it's really funny but actually mark the follow-up to this story is literally mark on the weekend met someone at football um one of the other parents and was saying you know oh we live in merriweather oh we live next door and he goes oh i heard that um a lady who's best friends with oprah lives in that house just because I've told the story so many times about meeting Oprah it's been you know bastardized into this story that um you know you're now best friend who's best friends with Oprah I'm like okay you know one of the one of the observations I'm having as I'm hearing you speak clearly you have done so well you know you're all about making the millions and you walk your talk And yet when you tell stories, for example, the story about the publisher or the story about Oprah, I still hear kind of a questioning of, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so uncomfortable or what did I do wrong? You know, that kind of like little RSD devil coming up. Yeah. Because I was always getting into trouble for forgetting my ruler not having a calculator, wearing the wrong thing to, you know, oh, it was sports day. You didn't know it was sports day? Oh, it was, didn't you know it was um, photography day today? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, so I was just used to kind of getting in trouble all mm. the time or having to manipulate time and space to avoid getting into trouble. And that's exhausting exhausting and so I think my adrenals were just always like on edge and waiting for the bad thing to happen and that that is trauma that is trauma and I have to do a lot of work on that still you know I I have um monthly not so much counseling and things but I I do all of the techniques that I teach people to do but I have to do them with my own practitioners because it's not the same when you're teaching things as you know right you need someone to hold space for you too. Mm-hmm. And so I do have to do a lot of those things. But 
and, and you know, life isn't perfect. And I still make a lot of those impulsive decisions. I just that now I have more money to do them. You know, I moved around a lot as a kid. And so I never was able to collect things. And mm. so for the, my first couple of years, even of owning a house, I didn't put art on the walls and anything like that. And now I have two houses. So I have my beach house and I have my farmhouse. And my farmhouse came with this big barn. And so I actually started filling it with stuff. This is again, before I knew I had ADHD, but I loved thrifting and I loved collecting things, but my mom would kind of make us throw things out a lot. And so I remember this one um, weekend where I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to start thrifting stuff for my farm and for the farmhouse. And I found this old couch, like a rattan kind of couch with these big solid legs at a thrift store. And I went, oh, this would be so great, you know, painted and covered. And then in the next thrift store, I found a couch exactly the same. And um, this lady said, oh, it's this particular style. And I went, oh, that's really interesting. I'll look it up in Marketplace. And then I found three couches on Marketplace. <laughs> and then I went, this is going to be really hard to collect these couches. So I hired a truck, like a removal truck. And then I went searching. I went hyper-focused into it. And by the end of that weekend, I had 22 of these couches. What were you going to do with them? Well, because... At first I went, oh, this is great. I can have it for the house. And then I went, well, I kind of need two or three couches for this house. And then I went, well, I could have one on the veranda. But because I've got this big barn, I was thinking I would love to host events and a little mini conferences in this barn. And I'd done the, the numbers. I thought, oh, you know what? We could have about 70 people in this barn. And I thought, well, instead of sitting on normal chairs, wouldn't it be fun if they could sit on these couches? Oh, yeah. And that they were all matching. And so... Even 22 is not enough, you know, because I was like, oh, you could have two people sitting on a couch. And then so, you know, that's 44 people. So really I need another, um, you know, this. But it's because I've got the space to do it that I can get into trouble. And then the next thing happened, I went, well, you know what would be really fun is if you could give, you know, you could say to people, get into a group of four and here's your picnic basket with your lunch. And so I went, I need picnic baskets. And I ended up with about um, probably about 20 picnic baskets the next time because then you see them on Marketplace and then you see them on thrift stores and then the algorithm kicks in, you know, and then so you open up Facebook and Facebook are like, I heard you like picnic baskets. (laughs) Here. Yeah. And my husband is completely opposite to me. He does not have ADHD. He's really steady. He's really organized. And so he enables me sometimes because Sometimes I'll see things, but I wouldn't get around to actually getting it. Yeah. And so I would send him things and I'd, or I'd say to him, go get $20 out, go, go to this lady's house. She's going to give you something. He'd go, what is it? I go, don't ask any questions. Just go get this thing. And so then at the farm, because I've got all this space again, I've got picnic baskets everywhere. And then I've got a lot of antique cars because I'll see them and be impulsive about it. And so the, and this sounds like, again, I just want to preface this of I'm very privileged, you know, I've got, I've got money now, but I just want people to hear that having money doesn't change the behavior. Sometimes it increases it. And there's still a part of me too, that sees things and goes, well, I can be the one to fix that. I can be the one to renovate that. And I don't like leaving that little couch there that's going to get neglected and no one's going to like it. And so then it's, you know, tea sets. I've got a million tea sets out there because I think, well, if I have 70 people there and they have tea, I want them to have tea out of these beautiful floral mugs. And so I'll be at a thrift store and I'll see this, you know, 
set for like $30 of this beautiful antique flowered china right but you're you're thrifting this right you're not buying you know 30 brand new couches and 30 brand new tea sets um so i'm kind of justifying it and i love that you're justifying it for me thank you (laughs) tracy well i gotta tell you the whole time i was reading this book the question that was never answered that i had was have you always been good with money or did I miss it? Did you talk about it and I missed it? No, terrible with money. And because my mum was kind of like that feast or famine person as well, she changed jobs a lot. She was a single parent. And so she was very lucky. She would win. I remember she won $5,000 on a slot machine one time and people would give her things and you know, she would be in relationships with people who had had lots of money. And so it would be feast or famine in my house. You know, if you had the good yogurts, eat them all because <laughs> there's no good yogurts tomorrow. So I was kind of like that with food and money. And when I moved out of home for the first time at 18, I impulsively bought a laptop on higher purchase back then, you know, very high interest rate. My 20s, I got in a lot of impulsive problem problems with money. And because I changed jobs so much, I never really earned a ton of money, but I didn't open my credit cards. I paid my credit card bill late every month because I just didn't remember. And so it wasn't probably until my late 20s that I kind of got into reading um, The Automatic Millionaire and Smart Women Finish Rich and Susie Orman books. And I heard Susie Orman at a Hay House event And she stood on the stage and she introduced herself with saying, "Um, you know, I'm Susie Orman. And she goes, I stand before you, I can't even do her accent, a very, very, very wealthy woman. (laughs) And I had chills from top to toe. And I thought, I want to be able to say that. And so I really immersed myself in a lot of those personal finance books. And I decided to kind of merge the two worlds that I was living in, the woo-woo spiritual world that I was exploring and this very, you know, like do the thing, put money aside world. And so I I got out of debt very quickly, um, all of that impulsive debt I'd built up. And I really started bringing those two worlds together. I was like, oh, well, Louise Hayes telling me about forgiveness work and self-love. What if I do that with my money? And that led me on a very beautiful exploration of this world of money mindset And I'm very honest about that. You know, I was never good with money and I'm still, I don't give financial advice because I still have my money issues as well. You know, as I said, impulsivity can really derail me sometimes, but I want to be a cheerleader for other people. Even just to normalize the conversation of money is probably my role in this. You know, I'm not saying to people, get out of debt and save. I'm saying you can get out of debt and here are some resources I've used and I believe in you and let's find the path of least resistance to that. And it's okay for you to talk about money. It's fun to talk about money. But um, yeah, I'm definitely not perfect with money myself. Well, that makes me feel better. (laughs) If I wasn't married to a banker, I would be so screwed. But I am, it's interesting. Um, I do feel like I'm getting better and better, but it really comes from not beating yourself up. Yes. And for us, it's about automating things, right? Yes. Making sure that our bills are automated so we don't have to be better 
at it. We can just let that. And that's the keyless life philosophy, right, of going, well, you know what? You're never going to remember to pay your bills on time. So make sure they're on auto pay and auto pay savings because out of sight, out of mind, you won't even notice that it's gone. And those little things that we can do to kind of check ourselves before I wreck ourselves. Okay. So talk to us about auto pay savings. How do you set that up? Well, I realized that I would, because I had been so in that feast or famine energy as a kid, even when I had money, I would kind of push it away at the last minute because I was used to kind of having nothing, but also having to have that adrenaline rush of pulling everything out of my butt last minute. So <laughs> I, I had to acclimatize to it. I remember putting away $5 a week on an automatic payment to an, to an online savings account that it, that was a little bit difficult for me to access because I had to remember the password and, you know, all of those things that were too hard, in the too hard basket. And I started with $5 a week and I raided that savings account a few times. And then I kind of just got used to having a little bit more than I needed and without feeling like I had to quickly push it away. And then I did seven and then I did $11. And then I did more and more until I, um, I actually built up to like a million dollars of, of savings over the God. But I had to start with $5 because I couldn't even hold $5 without sabotaging it. And I completely paid off a million-dollar mortgage. And I mean, I was earning good money in my business. But then you know what I did? I, I impulsively bought a house near the ocean. Not impulsively, but I um, bought another house, but I, I just knew it wasn't the right decision. We owned that house for six weeks. And I just went, Mark, we have to, we have to follow our dreams and live by the ocean. And I had to do a massive big launch to kind of pay for this property by the ocean. Tell that story. I think that that's the story where you you get cold feet, right? Once it's done. Yes. Well, I had been for years walking in the neighborhood now I live in and saying, one day I'm going to live in one of these properties. One day, you know, one of them is mine. I don't know which one it is. And so I've always been really good at that kind of energy, that manifesting energy that then helps you to do the thing. Mm-hmm. and do that uncomfortable stuff of building a business sometimes because I, would, I was just so certain and I would bring other people into that dream with me. You know, my husband would be like, babe, we are going to live in this neighborhood. Let's go visit. Let's go touch the walls. Let's pretend we're going home. And I went to every open house in this neighborhood for five years. Oh, my gosh. And none of the real estate agents would ever talk to me. And um, I just, you know, built my business steadily and made more and more money and you know, I got to that million dollar mark uh, when I was 35. So what's that? Seven years ago. But it was still a really big dream to live. And I remember being at an open house just around the corner for me. And I almost heard this voice in my head saying, get out, this isn't your house. And we went across the road and there's this amazing, you know, frontage looks out to the ocean, but it was a real derelict building. And I went, oh, what about this house? And it was 3.8 million just for the land. You know, it doesn't even have a house on it. And Mark goes, he kind of is always the one going, oh, I don't think we can do it. And I go, you just said the magic words. <laughs> you just said those magic words. And so we sat down with our financial advisors and they were like, no, it's, you just can't do it. I went, all right, guys, tell me how much money it's going to take. I'll go get the money and I'll be back. And I did a really big launch and... Obviously, you don't have to put $3.8 million down, but you have to put you have to put a big chunk of that, you know, it's yeah. like 20% deposit. And so I went, I'll I'll do a launch. And, you know, and every day in that launch, I was looking at the 
picture, I would go visit. I'd be like, this is my land. This is it. And then the same thing happened with the Rose Farm. I was just because I thought, okay, I live near the beach now. Wouldn't it be nice to have a country property? And I started just dream building, putting together a Pinterest board. And I, I said to Mark, why don't we just go look at, you know, just go to open houses just for fun. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay. And I found this beautiful rose farm that has this cottage on it. And I stepped out into the land and Mark looked at my face and he went, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> he and knew. He knew. And I spoke to our financial advisors and they went, no, you can't, you know, it's not possible. And I went, tell me how much money, guys. I'll go make the money. And so October 2018, if anyone you know, bought money boot camp on that, that month, that was my rose farm. <laughs> but I'll tell you actually what I put this in the book, but it's, it's a really fun story to tell. I still felt sick about that buying. Yes. I want you to tell farm. that story. That's an yeah, amazing I felt story. <laughs> and, you know, I'd pulled it off and I'd made it all happen, but the, the adrenaline wore off on the day that we had to pick up the keys and I felt so sick about it. And we got in the car and we were driving to pick up the keys and I, I said to Mark, babe, we are just going to really have to tighten our belt in the next year. You know, it was almost like, okay, now the consequence has to come. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he goes, that doesn't sound like you. And yeah, I you're said, scaring yeah, you're me. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because it would all just crumble if I lost my, right. my mojo. If I realized I couldn't fly, uh, <laughs> so everything falls down. And, um, and I said, yeah, I said, you're right. There's always more money. And as I said that, a shower of $50 notes hit our car. <laughs> and $50 notes in Australia are yellow. We have plastic money. And it was a couple of thousand dollars worth that hit our car, like, you know, that bank heist where the money explodes. Mm -hmm. It exploded onto our windshield. And Mark's wipers turned on automatically and we screamed. You know, we were just like, oh, my God, what happened? And to this day I have no idea. I don't know if someone you know, was on their way to buy a big purchase and money flew out. <laughs> I have no idea what happened. And it was flying all around the road and it was just, it was crazy. And he was like, do we stop? And I was like, well, it's not, that's not the lesson. You know, the lesson that there's, there's always more money. And so we say that to ourselves as a shortcut of, you know, sell more boot camps, go help some more people. There's always more people in the world that you can help. Yeah. And so get focused. And that's what's really helped me focus in business is like we always say all roads lead to boot camp. So everything I create has to go to boot camp. I can create marketing that is as wild and crazy and weird as I want because I know all roads lead to boot camp, but I don't break boot camp. And that's where I see ADHD people. They break their back end, not their front yes. end. Yes. And all I just say to myself is just don't break it today. You can break it tomorrow. You can do something else tomorrow. Just don't do it today. And that's just enough for me to go, okay, well, I can just do this weird marketing thing then because it will, it will lead to boot camp eventually. And every time I think, oh, everyone's seen my work or whatever, just sell more boot camps. And um, I actually just this next week I'm closing on a new property and it's a bank. It's a bank that is a residence as well and it's, you know, a commercial property, so I'm not going to live there, but, it, you know, we can Airbnb it and there's a commercial it, where the old bank used to be and then there's a bank residence at the back where the manager would have lived with his family. And that is totally one of those things too of going help more people, sell more boot camps, and then you can fund these really cool creative projects. And that too, um, I bought it with my best friend who's a designer, interior designer, 
and you know we make beautiful Pinterest boards and have that beautiful creativity but that's not my business you know she's the interior designer that's her business but I use that as fuel to help more people because I think my brain does need something to work towards and thrive um, you know too and then I go great well let me go help some more people in my boot camp and I think that's really the key for people with ADHD is that we can get so all over the place, but I've got a funnel, I've got a bucket to direct that energy into that can really help people. And that's that saved me from breaking my business multiple times. And I've, you know, I've seen so many people do it. And that really is the key, right? We do something, we get to the point where we're good at it, it's making good money. And then all of a sudden, oh, we're bored, we're going to go do this next thing. Rather yeah, than keeping that going while you're doing some of these other things that satisfy that dopamine need. Yes, exactly. Well, the other way I'm doing it too, and I think this would be a really great tip for anyone listening, is instead of going, oh, I'll do something else instead of money mindset, I'm looking for the little niches within money mindset. So I'm creating a series of guides, money mindset for writers, money mindset for photographers, money mindset for dance teachers. And I will never run out of those topics. And I think that's a really great thing for my ADHD brain. Instead of going, don't get something new and sexy, but this will feel new and sexy because then I can go and interview all of the people in my community who are dance teachers, who are photographers, who, you know, whatever profession, and I'm never going to run out of them. So I'm sure in the next five, 10 years, I'm going to create hundreds and hundreds of those because every time I feel myself getting a little bit itchy, I'll go, okay, go pick a profession and do it. And I think eventually I'll be able to create those so quickly and but give somewhere for my hyper-focus to go to so I don't go buy 20 couches. <laughs> okay. So um, I want to talk about keyless life, but specifically what I have noticed is that one of the places where ADHD women get stuck is this guilt about I can't hire help. And you have a quote in the book, I live like a 1950s dad and I love it. So can you talk about that? Because many times when I say you need to get help, you know, if you hate to clean your home and you're not doing it and it's mucking up your brain, you need to hire someone who's good at that to help you. And I'll hear, well, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't afford it. You know, all of the reasons it's, you know, privilege, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you can't afford not to do it. You don't understand. It's stopping you from doing those things that you really want to do that you're good at. Could you talk about this? Of course. Well, the keyless life philosophy really comes from my painful experiences of always losing my keys as a kid. And in my 20s, when I lived in share houses, my flatmates would come home to see me sitting on the doorstep reading a book because I'd forgotten my keys. And so when I um, bought my first house, I just thought, let's eliminate this problem altogether. And we put keyless entry, you know, just a little, a little, um, you know, beep, beep, beep. And I can get in and I just have to remember one number. And my office here has one of those keyless entries as well. My house does. And so it is a literal thing for me of, I just don't want to have to have keys. And I think that's sometimes where we go, well, I'll do a course to get better at remembering that. I will come up with all of these solutions to go around it or be better or change myself to do it. And I just went, I'm just going to eliminate that problem. I'm never going to have to carry keys on me. And I haven't had keys for more than 10 years. 
um, which is great. And I've got the keyless entry for my car, so I can just have it in the bottom of my bag. I've put all my cards on my phone, so I never have to worry about losing my wallet, which I used to do all of the time. And so that's the philosophy. And then with getting help, I started this before I really could afford it with just a cleaner coming every two weeks to deep clean the bathrooms and things like that. And then as I've made more money, I've upgraded that. And here's the thing. I think most people with ADHD could wear all the hats in their business because we're good at that. I love doing marketing. I love doing social media content. I love doing everything in my business except for bookkeeping. That's the thing I really struggled with. But I can't do a lot of the things in my house without it really, really draining me. And I remember doing laundry one time and it should be a simple thing, right? Chuck everything in the washing machine, hang it out. But I started to go, what's the best way to hang these things out so they dry in an optimal way? And then, of course, I started, oh, I wonder what the best hangers are for this. What's the best drying rack? Oh, I, I need to get three baskets so we can start sorting things and we can have a basket for whites, a basket for mixed stuff, a basket for black. And then I was like, do red things, should they go in the mix or should they go in the black? So I <laughs> spent an hour thinking about the laundry, which I'm sure you've done as well. And then I started stressing about just all these different things. And then I forgot to put the washing machine on and then I finally put the washing machine on and then I forgot to put it out and so then the washing sat there for two days and so for me I any of those things I think I could expend that energy helping people and making money in my business and so now I have so much help you know I have people to help me with my kids and I have a housekeeper who comes four days a week she comes from seven till about 11 and I came home from a business trip yesterday she's unpacking my suitcase today and I make sure I put, you know, I put all my laundry in one bag so she doesn't have to root through everything. But she'll put away my toiletries bag. She'll put away my shoes. She'll, and then put that suitcase away. And that used to take me months, sometimes weeks, you know, if I was lucky, sometimes days. And it would drive Mark crazy. He'd go, can you just unpack for your trip? And I'd go, I can't. I literally <laughs> cannot. I would forget to eat. I would forget to feed my kids sometimes. And on if Mark's away, because Mark does cooking, our housekeeper does all the cooking and then Mark heats it up. I remember one time Mark was going away and the dads were like, who's going to feed us? And I went, who do you think? And they went, Nan? And I went, no, dude, it's me. And then, of course, I would kind of forget and then go, oh, my God, um, all right, we're having baked beans on toast. And they, or mummy pizza, mummy pizza's just grilled cheese. And now, again, I have compassion for my mom, thinking some of the meals she fed us were so random. And I internalized <laughs> that of going, I'm a neglected child. No one cares about me. And now I totally get it. Now I'm like, oh, okay, um, here you go, beans on toast. And so I, yeah, I'm unapologetic about that now because I remember seeing my my granddad, you know, he he was the breadwinner and he didn't have any guilt about any of that. And clean clothes just magically appeared for him because we had this mentality of like, you know, men's energy is so important and and ours are not. And so I'm I, I just talk about that a lot because, you know, it's it's kind of this thing of it's not exploitative. It's actually very noble to do everything and be selfless for your family, but it's exploitative to pay someone to do that. And, you know, don't be a jerk. Hire people, pay them well, 
you know, my employees, they get unlimited sick days if they want to. They get paid time off. They get 401 contributions. And, you know, don't be a jerk. And it's made me also be a little bit less messy and things like that because I think, well, someone's going to be opening this suitcase. So. Oh, it's totally true, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. It keeps you honest, basically. But it pays for itself because it I would not be able to do all of this, these things in my business because figuring out a meal plan for the week or anything like that, I just it would take that very limited bandwidth that I have and direct it in a way that doesn't, that's invisible labor to my family. Like no one's really going to appreciate if it gets done perfectly or not, but I would get so into my perfectionism around it and I would expend so much energy doing it and it would drain my energy to write books and do other things. And so I'm, you know, my kids are growing up seeing a different way of being for sure. And there's a lot of guilt that I think comes from people. People say, well, how are your kids going to learn how to do anything? And I say, but do your kids see you doing all of those things? They really don't. Do your kids thank you every day for doing those things? Most of the time, they don't even notice. And so I would actually say to most entrepreneurs, get help at home before you get help in your business because it will pay off. The payoff will be so much better for you, your energy, your family, but also your income because then you have more bandwidth to grow your income. Absolutely. So, Denise, what is it about you and your ADHD that makes you so good at what you do? Multitasking, for sure. This last couple of days of filming, it was very, very long hours. It was hair and makeup at 6.30, on camera at 9, and we would finish at midnight. And I think there's just something there about... um, I don't know, we, we, we've got a superpower around that. But also things like um, I can read a teleprompter, smile, read the words, also see that in the next paragraph there's a typo and I'm going to have to substitute that word. And at the same time make a mental note to think, okay, I have to you know, change that in a script for next time. And also another side note to, to rem- remember to tell Mark something about that or to tell the lady who's looking at the transcripts, turning them into PDFs, you know, just. I can do all of those things all at the same time. And that I think is just such a magical superpower that we have. Do you have good working memory? Uh, Sometimes. You (laughs) you don't forget things. Um, Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Um, But in, like in that context, it is just such a superpower because I don't know that many people who could film that amount of content, that amount of, and still make it look good and still do it, you know, and actually I had to film a corporate gig recently and I was very nervous about it. And I turned up, I thought it was just going to be me and a film guy. And there was like a crew of five people. There were um, clients were watching online on zoom in real time and giving feedback. And there was a moment where I just went, I can't do this. And then I was like, TTT, okay, pull this out. And I just I just got on the teleprompter and I'm I'm a bit of a one take wonder. Sometimes I can, you know, just just power through it. And they were all just like, whoa, like we've never seen like a, a non-media person be able to do this. And it was just because I went, yeah, I can just I can just multitask. My brain can just do all of this at the same time and kind of turn it off. The only thing was at the lunchtime, the sound guy said, wow, I was really impressed by how quick, like just you could just nail it. And I said, yeah, I was really nervous. And he goes, well, 
let me tell you a secret, I could hear your heart beating in the microphone because the microphone was just right on my chest between my boobs. And I thought, oh, he's the only one who knew my secret because to everyone else I was just like, showtime, you know, let's do it. And I think, oh, man, thank God I've got ADHD. (laughs) This must be especially difficult for you, though, because you're an introvert. I I would have thought you were an extrovert, but you're not. You're an introvert. So this robs you of energy, right? But it's that intensity that I can do. And then, Mm. I mean, this is the beauty of online business. We can do it from home. We can batch content. Um, I love batching. And because that's a superpower too, I might get in a hyper-focus and almost like a puzzle that you have to finish. I'll just be like, oh, I'll I'm going to batch my social media ahead of time. And I did that um, for my rose farm. I did like 150 days worth in one day because I thought I want to just get to the end of the year and I couldn't stop until I'd filled in all of those all of those gaps. And so I have those intense moments, but then that content can last for a while. I can I can spend a day in the podcast studio and do 20 podcasts. Great, that's 20 weeks of content. And it, so it looks like I'm always on. Wait a minute. You can do 20 podcasts? In a day? Yes. (laughs) That is amazing. I don't think I've ever done more than three. I have no idea. And I'm kind of, you know, beat after three. I'm just blown away. But you're interviewing people. Yeah, but not always. I still, no, I couldn't do 20. How long are your podcasts? It's about um, 20 minutes. And then, you know, there's ads and intro and stuff like that. Okay. So that would be about, so if I can do three, that would be like nine, right? Yeah. Since mine yeah. are normally around an hour, but still, I still, I like, I'm bowing down to you. I can't believe that. <laughs> That's amazing. The problem of that though, Tracy, is again, it becomes that extreme because instead of going, well, I'll do this really intense day and that's 20 weeks of that. I'm like, well, what else can I do at that extreme pace? Mm. And then so I end up being in a lot of that energy. Then I'm like, oh, well, how about I write a book in a weekend? And then, oh, what's the next thing? Oh, how about I do my social media content? Oh, how about I film my entire course in? And so I, because I think there's that thing then of when things are a little bit too chill and I'm like, oh, why don't I do this? And so I have to watch myself that I don't do those things. What do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Well, you have to go with the flow of it. And anytime you're trying to overcome, you know, it's just finding the circumstances in which that is useful and helpful and not destructive. And again, that's what works for me. All roads lead to boot camp. So great. I can, I can do those things. Um, and it's, it is that Zen approach of, you know, floating downstream rather than paddling upstream against it and accepting that's who I am. I'm always going to have a million ideas. So how can I direct that gently so I don't cause chaos in that? I always think of Frank Sinatra's song, Light and Easy. Oh, I've, I don't know that song. Listen to I'm it. Look that up. I'm I not going to sing it. One time I sang it on the podcast. I am not going to sing it, but it's basically light and easy, light and easy, light and easy every time. And the whole idea is if it's light and easy, you know, it's happy, it works, it's, yeah. I thought you were going to say I did it my way because I feel like that's a... Yeah, that would be too. But, you know, I have a a relative who actually played that at her funeral. She requested it. And so I can't even listen to it anymore. And she 
wasn't a particularly nice person either. So (laughs) she just ruined that song for me. Okay. Before I let you go, do you have a workaround to share with us? Something that is, you know, one of your primary workarounds. Well, definitely the keyless life philosophy for me is how can I eliminate this problem altogether? So sometimes we look at our business and we look at our to-do list and there should just be stuff that just goes off it just to go, no one should be doing this in the business. Um, And whether that is, you know, kind of an outlandish idea or maybe you're trying to do all of the social media platforms at once, it's just like, okay, what, what can we just take out completely? And then I look at what I can batch or what I can delegate or what I can completely outsource. And so I think that's my that's my go-to is eliminate, delegate, you know, batch, outsource. Then things become easier. Um, I, just actually another Frank Sinatra thing, that the New York, New York song. The yeah. thing that annoys me so much is when you see people drunkenly doing a kick line at a wedding or a conference. And from that dance background, I'm always just like, Kick in time, people, please. Kick in time. Um, wait, wait, wait. So is that related to your your dance background? Yes, totally. Okay. Just it, thought of that. Thank, Frank Sinatra. I'm like I'm that like, when I see people I do ballet and their hands aren't, you know, they, you can tell, like they never had good training. <laughs> yes. Or when you see stock photos where someone's just put a pair of point shoes on a, yes. a model. Oh my gosh. Yes. And there's and no go, arch. Yes, exactly. It's just straight up and down. Yeah, I am. Totally. Um, I'm really excited actually to do money mindset for for dance teachers because, you know, I love bringing together parts of my world into my new world, and I just think there's so many mindset issues that we have in so many professions where we think, no, no, I have to do this for the love of it, or I'm not allowed to make money, and you know, I've worked with so many um, dance teachers now, and. Even just the fact that in tap dancing, you start on the eight count rather than the one, right? You have to start before you're ready. Mm. And I feel like that's there's so many analogies there to ADHD and dance of just going, yeah, the show must go on, but you're allowed to cancel a show. And yeah, there's some good lessons in that. Absolutely. So where can people find you if they want to know more? Is there anything you want to tell us about? Oh, wow. What a fun conversation, first of all. Thanks. Thanks, Tracy. Thank um, so my website is denisedt.com. My social handles are at denisedt.com. Um, there's a, a book bonus page for the new book, Chill and Prosper, at denisedt.com slash prosper. You can get the book anywhere. I read it on Audible. It's, you know, paperback and, and Kindle, but you can go to that denisedt.com slash prosper to get the book bonuses. And then I'm just I'm just so easy to find um, everywhere. You can, you know, just Denise Lucky Bitch, you'll find me, or Denise Chill. And I actually really love hearing people's stories. I love collecting different nuances around money mindset and different experiences and different analogies. So, you know, really, I love it when people send me a DM or just a little aha, you know, I collect all of those little stories and um, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. And I, I mean, gosh, I'd love to hear anyone's ahas from this interview. Tag us both and tell us what came up for you. Um, yeah. Thanks, Tracy, for having me and letting me talk about everything and being able to talk about my book. I appreciate it so much. And your group really was a catalyst for me because, you know, I think I did have that stigma of going, this is something that has, you know, been a source of such shame for me for such a long time. And and realizing that we we have these superpowers, but also having compassion 
you know, there's sometimes people in, in your groups, they're still figuring out how to use it as a superpower and still figuring out how to use it in business and to direct it in healthy ways. And it's given me just such compassion for our community. And really, you opened up some really big light bulb moments for me. So I just appreciate this work that you're doing in igniting people and giving themselves permission to explore it or to get a diagnosis. I think it's life-changing work, really, Tracy. It, it really is. Oh, well, thank you so much. And yeah, go out and get Chillin's Prosper. I actually, so I bought the book so I could tab because that's what I do. So I don't forget things. And especially because I was having you here, you know, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget, but I actually, um, I read the, or I listened to the audible version and I love that. And I think it's because it was your voice, not just your speaking voice, which is, I don't know, it's just so familiar and, you know, you feel like you know you after you um, start uh, start listening to it. But I also loved your voice as far as your voice as a writer. So if oh, you struggle to read, you. I think the Audible is great. I, I don't like when I listen to an Audible and it's not the author's voice or the author has a bad voice, then that's not good either. But this one, it was just, again, it was light and easy. So well, I'm really- It's hard to do. I understand why authors don't want to do it. It's a big task. You know, sitting there, you have to bring warmth into your voice and read at the same time. Again, it's a very ADHD superpower. Um, mm. I did get in trouble the first time I recorded an audiobook because I wanted to put in all this extra information. I was like, oh, that reminds me of a story that didn't get in the book. And um, they were like, no, you can't do that. You have to read it as it is verbatim, please. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a really tricky thing to do. But I'm I'm really lucky that I got to be able, you know, that they allow me to read it myself because it's a fun way. And then people can speed it up too if they want to listen to yeah. the, the book like yeah. that. One and a quarter. That's what I normally do. Denise, thank yes. you so much for spending time with us here today. Thanks. And don't forget, we just opened up Your ADHD Brain is A-OK this week, and you'll have until this Monday, September 19th, to sign up, and we'll be starting on Tuesday, September 20th. If you're interested, pop on over to tracyoutsuka.com forward slash A-OK. I'd love to have you join us. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Denise, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.